I guess we'll do it that way. What's up, my dude? John. Uh, what's up? I don't know. I don't know what's up. I don't actually know. What? Come on. What's up? I don't know what's up. I don't know what's down. I don't know what's in or what's out. You do know this sound, though. Oh, you know just how to get me back on track. <laughs> what's uh, Why so morose? You sound morose. I'm in a bad mood. Mm. Just what just what the podcast listeners want to hear. I know. Lay it on, they, lay it on us. What's you know going they on? Love, oh, they, you know they all come back for me being in a bad mood. Bad mood. On a good note, I was very pleasantly surprised um, to find out that we have more than just the NSA listening to our last episode. Right. People stuck it out. They came back. Um, yeah. Or they forgot to unsubscribe. Well, both, both, I think, but Teddy mm-hmm. Bron, but you know, they, they, they downloaded episodes. Mm. Um, Teddy Bronson was there. Uh, Cody, did he, send an email? he did send me an email. Cody also sent us an email. Cody, oh. shout out to Cody. I uh, got a email. very nice note from Cody. I'll, I'll send it. I'll send it your way. Cody, thanks for being so loyal. Um, heard from a few other people who, uh, don't matter enough to mention on air. Mm. And, Anyway, I'm in a bad mood, John, because, well, we we started a little late. Not that it really matters, but we started mm-hmm. a little late because uh, my dog rolled in manure, and I had to get <laughs> What'd you do about that? Which, at 7.45 in the morning, is kind of just the last thing I want to do, is get a bunch of cow shit on my hands and right. get my bath covered in cow shit and <sighs> dog hair. Yeah, dog gross. ownership is is almost the worst thing on the planet, I think. I once had a sewer pipe problem in this uh, house that I bought. And because I'm trying to fix everything up myself, I sawed through this drain pipe and was unclogging, manually unclogging wow. a drain pipe, which basically involves your elbow deep into some nasty shit. One time my brother was living with me and I think this was probably his fault, Paul. Mm-hmm. He um he was living with us at the first house we purchased and the sewer line from the front of the house to the street exploded. Oh no. It was very old. It was old clay pipes. It was it was an old house. And the house I think was built in the 50s, but I think it was built on a lot where the original house had maybe been built in like the early 1900s. And mm-hmm. so it was this old ass clay pipe and some, you know, some, some roots had gotten yep. in and it's a very wet town, Chattanooga. And so, you know, it all added up to uh, a, a, a lake of shit in my front yard. Oh no. And um, it's not the kind of lake and, you want in your front yard. No, some people, there are desirable lakes mm-hmm. for sure. This was not one of those. And you know how I knew it was shit beyond a shadow of a doubt. You smelled it. It smelled it. It smelled of shit. But also, you know, there was part of me that was like, I wonder if maybe, well, no, I knew it was shit. I also knew it was shit though, because, and this is why I blame my brother because I would always give him a hard time because he flaw he likes to floss his teeth. Good for him. Yeah. Flossing is apparently very healthy. You know, they say that root canals and other dental, poor dental practices uh, might be part of 
the reason why we see a rise in like Alzheimer's and stuff because this bacteria that gets in your mouth. You know, they've often really? they've known for a long time. Yeah, they, apparently dentists are the are the crooks that we have been portraying them as. <laughs> I was talking to my I was talking to my dad, and he was like, he has like four cracked teeth because he got fillings that were completely unnecessary, right? You know, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, my brother likes to floss. And uh, when I really knew shit had hit the proverbial fan was when I saw floss floating in my front yard. And it's because, and I would always give him a hard time for this. He flushes his floss. That's nice. He doesn't, no, he doesn't put it in the trash can. (laughs) He flushes it. You're not supposed to flush floss. It doesn't decompose. It's plastic. And 10,000 pieces of that just wrapped around a tree root that was growing right through your pipe. Yeah, exactly. And then we had to spend, I don't know, I think close to $6,000 getting it replaced because we lived on a hill mm-hmm. and the pipe kind of had like a, a a terraced effect to it to get down to the street. And so they had to bring out, when they were fixing it, they brought out the entire, I think the entire plumbing company came. They were like, oh, let's all go learn how to do the most impossible fucking replacement job of all time on the Smallman's house. Right. It was so expensive. It was absolutely insane. Hmm. And it's just not the way you want to spend money. No. So I'm still in a bad mood. That was a solid six years ago, and I'm still pissed off about it. Yeah, but you do that kind of stuff because eventually you make money on the house. No, I know. And we did, and it's fine, and I need to be I need to be over it. I'm really just in a bad mood because Charlie got covered in poop. And um, why else am I in a bad mood? Oh, you know what, John? We were texting about this this morning. We might as well just get into this. What's that? Well, so Sundance announced their lineup. Mm. And um, it did not include rollers. Interesting. And you applied. I did apply. I paid them $100. What? To have some junior programmer tell me that I wasn't going to be in. I don't even know why we bothered submitting. <laughs> the truth is, I knew we weren't going to get in. I submitted a very early draft. Mm. The, the, the chances of us getting in were so slim. How many and movies, honestly, uh, how many applications are there? Well, you know, I thought this could be I, I thought this could be an educational experience for our listeners. Mm. Um because some of them know how much of a um an amateur I am. And some of them think I'm a seasoned vet. I Mm. think most people fall somewhere in the middle, but I just want you to know that we all put our pants on one leg at a time. Ah, and we all get the same boilerplate bullshit. I swear every single one of these things is the same. I could read you 10 from different years. Mm. Um, the same rejection letters from festivals, right? And I was going to read this one on air. Oh, excellent! Um, this idea. came from uh, this came from from John Cooper, mm. director of Sundance Film Festival. Dear Isaiah, thank you so much for submitting your. F- I wish they would just say you didn't get in. Bye. They always try to do this. They try to soften the blow right. as if it matters, mm. as if I give a fuck that you're sorry. This came in the mail, or was this an email? It's an email. Gotcha. Dear Isaiah, my hundred dollars got me. Yeah, I, I want to. Okay, John, you know, we, we, we often just kidding. We don't often talk about this, but mm. I like the idea of doing merch, you know, like, like funny, fun merch. Yeah. 
I think probably one one t-shirt that I would start with is I paid a hundred dollars and all I got was this shitty rejection letter and then, pre- <laughs> and then print, so print the rejection it. letter, like on the bat. It's pretty good. That's a good um, idea. So it says, dear Isaiah, thank you so much for submitting your film to the 2020 Sundance film festival. I swear they copy and paste this from every other festival on the planet mm. with a record number of projects submitted to us this year, as if I give a shit, <laughs> but you do. So I guess maybe that's why they include it. Right. This is going to blow your mind, John. Do you want to take a do you want to take a guess at the number that I'm about to drop on you? 4500. With a record number of projects submitted to this year, 15,100 to be exact. Wow. And less than 250 available slots within our program. We had to make many difficult choices throughout the process. Unfortunately, your film did not make it into the festival. This mm. is the part. That's fine. If they ended it there, I would never care. Right. But then they say this. More the level of quality display. I'm going to read it in, in the voice that I imagine it being written in. The level of quality displayed on the projects we receive gets higher and higher each year. So this was certainly not an easy decision. Mm. Don't patronize me, bro. What if this is really sincere? This guy spent a few hours crafting this email to then- you specifically. <laughs> You're just ripping him to shreds. Oh, please. <laughs> Keep going. If there was even a 1% chance of that being the case, I wouldn't even bother reading it. I just imagine that guy throwing it. I, I have tried. gotten a couple. I tried to be shout nice. out to South By, because I know the people at South By a little bit. I have gotten a couple of of of, of more personal rejections mm. from them, but, mm. or short films that I've done. Right. But, but no, anyway, I speak on behalf of our entire programming team when I say that we are incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to view the latest in independent film from the global creative community we wish you the best of luck with your project going forward and hope to be able to see more of your work in the future sincerely john cooper director of sundance film festival i speak on behalf of our entire filmmaking community when i say that i am incredibly annoyed that you charge me a hundred dollars to submit my film Mm. when you're getting fifteen thousand submissions that's a lot of dough I don't need to pay you $100 to have some junior programmer review my movie. That's what annoys me. Charge me 35 bucks. That seems like a reasonable number. Mm, man, they're, they're pulling in a million and a half on 15, that. Just on submission wow. fees. What a racket. If they know, I know that's why I'm saying this is a this is ridiculous. It's a it's totally a racket. If you go on Film Freeway, shout out to this episode brought to you by Film Freeway, <laughs> not the people I'm mad at. That's their tagline. Film Freeway, not the people you're going to get mad. Not at. mad at us. That should be their. Don't get mad at us. We didn't do it. We're just the middleman. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> don't shoot the messenger. Film Freeway. Don't shoot the messenger. That's what they should say. Uh, this episode brought to you by Film Freeway. Mm. Submission and event management by Film Freeway. I'm just reading the bottom of an email that I just mm. got. Anyway, um, so the, the point is that uh, I wish you the best of luck with your project going forward. That See, that's just insincere. And I don't mean like it's mean. I don't mean it's malicious. I just mean it is if you look up the word insincere in the dictionary, there's probably an example of that email where it says insincere. We wish you the best of luck with your, that that's not 
actually taking place. Mm. You don't think he's wishing I don't mean you that well. It's, well. You don't think he's wishing you well. No, because I don't think he saw the project. Right. And yet he is personally wishing me best of luck. And I don't think that's sincere. I think that's the opposite of sincerity. Yeah. I think that's patronizing. Yeah. It's, well, he's, it's professional. You know, it's some, it's a courtesy. I get that. I get that. But I think, I think courtesy can often be, um, Hmm, how do I say this? Rude. <laughs> well, it depends who it is, man. I had a. <laughs> am I being? Am I being too much right well, now? Well, it depends on the situation, right? Like sometimes if you're really curt, mm. I think point, I'm just mad because I spent a hundred dollars, and they again they should have like a tiered submission process or something. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, if you submit to ten festivals, you know you can pay a bunch of money. Yeah. As a, as a young filmmaker, you know, make, doing trying to get your project seen is pretty costly. It is. So they they announced their lineup. Rollers wasn't in there. You're mad about the rejection, the tone of the rejection letter. But more importantly, how do you feel about the project? I'm just mad that it's always the same exact rejection letter. <laughs> That's what I think I'm annoyed Maybe at. Maybe you start an ancillary you know? business where you, um, you do personalized rejection letters for them. Oh, yeah. See, that that <laughs> you can outsource the sincerity that also falls into the category of insincere yeah. i um you know the but it's not a bad idea to make some dough you know the problem is that th th that that number um 15,000 that number yeah yeah implies a it 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 carries with it a lot of uh context about the state of the film industry at this moment i mean it sounds like it's doing fine well, it is, but it's also, it is to me indicative of the fact that there is a new, oh, I'm trying not to be too much of a Grinch, but damn. Um, let me just say this. I think there are probably a lot of people thinking, oh, he's just mad because he didn't get into Sundance. Let's cover that first. Let's get that out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about the other thing that I really think we should talk about. Okay, the mad about Sundance part. I texted you this this morning. I'm not really mad about not getting into Sundance. I will admit, first of all, I kind of knew I wasn't going to get in because of the reasons I already mentioned. There's 15,000 submissions. I know people who are way more um, established than I am who didn't get in um, because it's sure. just hard. You know, it's, it's sort of like, mm -hmm. again, we've talked about this before. You can get a great score on your SATs and you still might not get into Harvard. It's just the way it goes. Right. And there are a lot fewer people getting into Sundance than getting into Harvard. So that's a reality. Um, you know, let's break down that number. There's 250 things submitted. Well, yeah, including like Vigo Mortensen's directorial debut and, you Ooh. know, things like that. So. Yeah, big whoop. I didn't get in. I will say this, though, because, again, I think people people know me pretty good by now. We've been talking a lot. There's definitely a little butthurtness going on, and it's not because sure. I think I should have gotten in. It's because rejection's hard, you know? Right. That's what the bottom line is. You can ask out the hottest, coolest girl in school knowing she's going to say no, but it still hurts when she does, mm -hmm. even if you know it's coming. And so... Am I a little bummed? Sure. Did I think, you know, and here's why, John, because deep down, I know that the movie is technically good enough to be at Sundance. Yep. 
I've seen a lot of movies at Sundance. I've had two movies at Sundance. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the movie is technically could fit in well there. Now, here's why it hurts, though. It's not because of that. It's because rejection's hard. And because deep down, it would be really cool to go to Sundance with a movie that I directed. It would be really, it, it is the premier domestic, you know, it is the coolest, chicest, most, you know, helpful jumping off point for a movie like this. Now, put a pin in that, part two. Yep. The other thing that's tricky about that, though, is I do genuinely think that there are probably other festivals that are a better fit for this movie. Because I think what would be a real bummer is that we go to Sundance and the movie gets buried. That is a thing that can and does happen all the time because there are so many high-profile projects that being a standout at a festival like Sundance is very difficult. And I don't think what Rollers needs is to be one of many. I think Rollers deserves and needs to be uh, featured. And I don't think that that was ever a realistic possibility at Sundance because, of again, because of the types of movies that they are known for premiering. I don't have huge stars. I don't have... You know, I haven't made 16,000 movies before. So anyway, but I just want to get that out there. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I think, you know, it's a realistic look at it. It's like, yeah, I got, I was bummed because I didn't get in, but also here's the reality of the situation. And I think, what else can you ask somebody for? You know, rejection sucks, period. Yeah, it absolutely does. And there's just no way around it. Um, and, and, and I want to say that first because I do have some legitimate opinions on this, that I some of which have already been stated, which is that it is a racket. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to be on the record saying that, but I want to clear, clear the air so that people know that I'm not just mad that I didn't get in. I know how this fucking process works. It's a racket you're trying to get into. It's a racket I'm trying to get into, just like the Ivy League. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just gotta deal with it. Yep. If you want to, you know, be a Supreme Court justice's clerk, it sure as hell hurt helps to uh, to have gone to an Ivy League law school. That's yep. just the way it is. Have you seen the TV show The Politician or heard about it? No. It's uh, somebody told me about it. It's a very, it's pretty good. It's worth a watch. It's on Netflix. It's about a kid that's trying to become the president, and it starts mm. with him him trying to get into Harvard. It's pretty wow. interesting. It's funny. It's kind of a kooky. It's a kooky show. Hi, highly recommend it. That's cool. So, okay, now that that air is 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 cleared. On to your grievances. Well, my grievances, okay, there, there's two kind of two buckets, and I'll let you decide which one we dive into first. But let me lay them out. The first is there is a major racket, and I use that word very intentionally. There's a huge and I think very sinister, um, and, I, and I don't mean... Sinister in the sense that there is some conspiracy to rip off filmmakers. I think it's opportunistic people, but the, sure. who who are looking for ways to make money. But that doesn't make it good or healthy. There is a racket, and it is it is not Sundance. Sundance is not the real racket. The real racket is all these other festivals that pop up, not right. because they are being. St- and and I want to be clear: there are example. Chattanooga Film Festival is an example of a light in the darkness in this area. I'm not talking about all of the festivals that you've been to, ex listener, who you go and you're like, "Wow, this is really well curated. The people here really care. It's in a place where you don't get to see these films otherwise." 
Those are not the ones I'm talking about. There's this whole other category of film festival that exists purely to make money on desperate independent filmmakers. They're selling laurels for a price because they have told independent filmmakers that it matters to have 12 festival laurels on your thing. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. If it's not one of the top festivals in the country, one of the top, say, 20 festivals, it doesn't matter, period. They are, and that's if you get in, they are, there are a lot of festivals out there. Now, again, going to a festival. That's cool in itself. With a movie. It is cool, and it is fun, and it's a great networking opportunity if it's a festival that someone actually gives a fuck about. But the problem is it's, it's like college where people are like, oh, you, didn't, you can't afford or you didn't get into X school. Go to University of Phoenix. You know, they're ripping you off. Right. It's, it, there is not a, my point being is there's not an accreditation process for film festivals. Nor should there be. Right. But what you need to be very aware of is that going to these festivals is only worth it if the festival is actually a real festival and not a money grab. And a lot of them are money grabs. Because most of them don't get 15,000 submissions, but a lot of them get a few thousand. A few thousand times 75 is pretty big money for some Joe Schmo and... You know, dude, if you look on Film Freeway, for example, if you look at all the film festivals in Los Angeles, yeah, there are like three film festivals in Los Angeles worth going to. Maybe, maybe I'm going to be really generous. Maybe 10. There are not like 80. And there are probably like 80 film festivals in Los Angeles. Why do you need 80 film festivals in Los Angeles? You can see all of those movies at the other film festivals. The problem is that it's a racket. They're trying to get people to pay money to submit. And I've been to these festivals, and they're just the worst. There's no programmer who cares. There's no community of filmmakers who gets together. It's a faceless money grab. And there are these like corporate film festival organizers, these networks of film festivals that go and set up film festivals in different places, and they charge you money. And that's what I have a problem with. It's, it's garbage. So that's grievance number one. What's grievance number two, though? Okay, so grievance number two is less of a grievance and more of a cautionary. I don't know if I'm experienced or established or whatever enough to say this yet, yeah. but I'm going to say it anyway. And I and I just want to say that I'm saying it. It's never stopped us before. Yeah, exactly. Qualification is way overrated. I don't know how to say this exactly. The number 15,000 is too high. <laughs> it's too high. Um. But isn't this, wait a second, I, I know what you're going to say, but isn't this what filmmakers have long sort of dreamed about, that this world would open up? Like I'm, We've talked about it before, but I remember seeing Quentin Tarantino behind the scenes of Pulp Fiction saying, you know, in five years, everybody can go out and shoot their own movie with a, with a VHS camera. Isn't that what you want? You want more people being able to do this, as many people as possible. Yes. I mean, it makes things harder, but in theory, isn't it better that more people make art than less? Yes. Okay. I have a two-part, two-parter. That is a very good qualification. Because where I was going with that is saying is, is this is probably, that's probably where I should stop. And you made a very good point. The thing I'm going to qualify that I probably don't need to say is don't go make your feature. 
a lot of people are like, go make your feature. Don't right. go make a feature. Not when I try to get into Sundance. Not when, not on my year. <laughs> Stay right. out of the way. It's kind of like the Democratic primary. Way. If you don't right. have a chance at winning, get the fuck out of the race. Right. And go do some go run in state politics. That's where the real shit happens anyway. Right. Everybody's win, trying to make that campaign dough though. I know. That's what I'm saying. And so here's the deal though. Yeah, they want to write a book. They want to do all this shit. Okay. But what I'm trying to say is don't go make your feature. Go make a halfway decent five-minute short film first and then do that six or seven more times. Then maybe make a feature. Okay, because we were talking about this, like the Puffy Chair, all these movies from like the 2000s and going even back to the 90s. Clerks, you know, um, Slacker, a lot of these credit card movies, right, that started coming up in the 90s when, when technology became more available. That was a point, I don't know when, let's see when Clerks came out. I think in the 90s, right? No, it was 95? probably like 93. 94. 93. Okay, got it. 94. Um, that type of era or like El Mariachi, you know, which was supposedly made for $10,000, all that kind of stuff. The, the, the problem with those narratives and then going up to the puffy chair, when did the puffy chair come out? Uh, 2005. Now, okay, here's the problem with the fact that those are sort of pitched as these success stories and is that no one wants to hear the hard news, which is that no one wants to watch your movie. That's the hard news. No one wanted to watch 99.999% of the clerks that were made in 1994. They only wanted to watch clerks, and that's why clerks made money. They didn't want to watch the one, they didn't want to watch the slightly less good clerks. And the person who made slightly good less clerks had $36,000 of credit card debt when they were done with it and a oh, worthless product. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like I owe it to people to say, no one wants to watch your movie. Don't <laughs> convince your grandma and your brother and 46 other people to give you thousands of dollars. Mm, yeah. To make a feature that no one wants to watch. Do something way smaller and way smarter and way more intentional and way more doable until you actually feel like you have a shot at making a feature that could possibly break through this glut of 15,000 movies that is getting made. Because the truth is, the technology, and this is what I was going to say earlier, I've been talking mm. to several filmmakers about this, the technology may be there. And yes, I agree. I think the fact that it is possible to make a movie means that we will discover talent that was previously undiscoverable. And I think that's a wonderful yeah, incredible development. Right. But what that doesn't mean is that it is suddenly easy to make a movie worth watching. That is yeah. false. Because here's right. the deal. I was talking to Dave Farino, who we had on the show. He made um The Fortune Teller with us. And um and he's the kind of guy who has made very, very, very good short films. The Fortune Teller played right. some tier one genre festivals, like we know what we're doing. He knows what he's doing. He still hasn't gone out and made a feature because he knows how hard it is to make a feature that's worth watching. And right. he hasn't had the opportunity to to find the 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 cross section, the intersection of attainable and marketable. 
And you have a responsibility if you're going to go through the trouble of making a feature to at least consider how you're using the resources that are being entrusted to you. And I would consider those resources everyone else's time and everyone else's money. I don't give a shit what you do with your time and money. But when you're making promises to grandma, you have a responsibility, a true legal fiduciary responsibility. This is a real yeah. thing, and most people don't get sued over it, but there are people that do because they don't know what they're doing when they're going out and raising money. Raising money has a lot of connotations to it. It's not the kind of thing you're supposed to do willy-nilly. There are The SEC does care what you promise people, and they can sue you if you do a bad job of setting up expectations. That is a reality that most people are not aware of. Hey, everybody. It's little Johnny Bear. We had some technical difficulties that were quite beyond our control, and so this episode got cut short. Listen soon for part two.